1: Very fine people. Very fine people. On both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, a- Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah.
0: McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up.
1: Listen, I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power. To keep this peaceful you know it's uh pepe's become kind of a symbol simple...
2: welcome to Yer na peseran a show about fascism and its gravediggers i'm cam smith I'm Andy Fleming. And we're joined this week by Alex DeBranco, the Executive Director at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism. Thanks for joining us, Alex.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I guess just firstly, what is the IRMS and what type of research does it do?
0: The Institute for Research on Male Supremacism was founded last year by myself and a group of my colleagues who really saw a gap in studies on the right wing, extremism, forms of supremacism that weren't taking into consideration misogynist and male supremacist movements. And even using the term male supremacism is something that is not widespread and is only just starting to get more acceptance. And so we work on A variety of issues that fall within the broad subject of male supremacism, but particularly have been focused on the rise of these secular misogynist movements such as men's rights activists, the red pill, men going their own way, misogynist incels that have particularly increased and mobilized in forums online over the past decade, and have been less studied than, for instance, the Christian right and traditional patriarchalism that we see in that movement, especially in the United States.
2: I noticed in some of the research that the Institute had undertook into incel forums, some of the posts on, on one incel forum that were being examined were just publicly available posts for a variety of reasons, but there was just this incredible volume of intensely violent, misogynist commentary. Why is it that these men feel so emboldened to act like this in public forums? And if this is the the public content, what's happening behind closed doors, do we know?
0: Well, (laughs) you know, when you ask, you know, how men feel emboldened to act this way, it it honestly seems really consistent with (laughs) the kind of acceptability of misogyny in our society in general. Before the alt-right was using techniques such as online harassment and doxing. Feminist journalists in particular were subject to doxing, were driven off social media, were in some cases driven out of their homes. In a lot of ways, it's an extension of the kind of street harassment that women face every day, in which men feel that it's okay to say a lot of appalling things. And so, This is a more extreme and hateful form of that rhetoric, but we really stress that these forums aren't coming out of nowhere. They're not incongruous with society as a whole. And while they have taken it in a direction that is more violent, that is increasingly dehumanizing, which is a a particular concern around the kind of language used with respect to women and particularly hateful. It's, it's not starkly different from the kind of pervasive misogyny and rape culture and aspects of male supremacy that are really embedded, you know, even in more mainstream society.
2: In speaking of these forums, they are attached to, a, I guess, a a certain online culture, which is associated with uh, the Chan boards. How do you think that kind of, I guess, subculture, online subculture has contributed to the development of this particular form of male supremacism and extolling the virtues of uh, male supremacist terrorism?
0: There has been some really excellent research that has been done and is being done on the impact of online radicalization and the Southern Poverty Law Center has done some work around that. Cynthia Miller Idris is a scholar who looks at it and, you know, there are certainly aspects to this transition to an internet society, a society with a lot of social media, with a lot of online social forums that are transnational, that don't have to worry about borders, that can really easily communicate with with a large number of people in a way that it used to be very difficult to disseminate ideology in the same way. And so all of those things make it more convenient and more viable for the dissemination of an ideology and to find supporters on a widespread basis. I think that there is some disagreement about how much to think about online radicalization as something particularly different in kind it often comes out of this conversation about anonymous messaging boards like 4chan and the impact that being anonymous gives versus it being a little bit more continuous that it provides a more convenient ability to disseminate messages and to communicate but it's not substantially different from the kind of speech and rhetoric that you might have been seeing before I am more on the latter side of that. My research before looking at this area looked at the last half century of New Right and Christian Right organizing. I read a lot of their direct mail for that. And there's a lot of very extreme content, particularly in considering the anti-abortion movement, which was a previous focus of mine. And then the anti-abortion movement was one in which we had a fairly significant amount of violent terrorism throughout the 1990s. So I would argue that what we see today happening with something like misogynist incel acts of violence, and also the other kinds of violence that have come through online radicalization, like, you know, in talking about the attack by Dylan Roof, those white supremacists, that these are, that this this is really pretty consistent with some longer standing patterns of racist and misogynist and dehumanising rhetoric that we can kind of trace over the past few decades, at least.
2: In the last few weeks, we've seen the the attack on the family of a federal judge in the United States by Den Hollander, who seemed to have uh, connections to the men's rights activist movement. Also in Australia, just a few weeks ago, a case concluded over a series of bombings and shootings aimed at family court judges here. Are attacks against the judiciary a more common thing amongst this milieu than within other the sort of terrorist uh, philosophies?
0: I can't speak broadly to other forms of terrorism, but I can speak specifically to the men's rights movement and the father's rights movement, which is a subset of the men's rights movement, which ostensibly was formed around the concept of wanting more equity in the family court system, but in actuality attracted a substantial amount of abusive spouses and and ex-spouses into the movement who were looking for ways to reassert control over their female partners and families. And the Fathers' Rights Movement, for a number of decades after the kind of founding of the the men's rights um, beginning of I- its ideology in the 1970s was really the most activist part of that movement. And it was also the part of the movement that, in addition to being the most activist and active in legal spheres, with things like the kind of lawsuits that the men's rights lawyer that you mentioned would bring forward on behalf of of what they claimed was discrimination against men was a significant part of the work that they did. So the men's rights movement and the father's rights movement in particular have had a lot of rhetoric throughout the decades focusing on the family court system in particular and the court system kind of writ larger As an area that is really reinforcing discrimination against men, they, there's a lot of anti-feminist conspiracism in this ideology, a belief that feminists control society, that they control the legal system. And there have been prior advocacy of targeting courts and judges for their complicity in this perceived feminist conspiracy and for being one of the very visible aspects of that, social workers have also been targeted in the past by disgruntled men who didn't want to pay child support payments, who felt that that was unjust. So there's this kind of infrastructure in which the shooting or the targeting of this female federal court judge, which ended up killing her son and wounding her husband, is in line with that kind of vitriol and imaginations of violence that we have seen from both leaders and followers in the men's rights movement over the years.
2: Reading about Hollander, it seemed that there was this sort of tendency in the media to write him off as a joke. He was like the guy that sued to end ladies night at the bar But he'd also published a lot of material which basically laid out that he felt that men needed to take up arms against women, which he did eventually do. Where where do you think people went wrong with Hollander?
0: One of the difficulties in working on male supremacism is getting people to take it seriously. And part of that is because the claims that these individuals or groups may sometimes seem ridiculous to people in the mainstream. And so if we talk about something like misogynist incel ideology, the basis of that ideology, incel standing for involuntarily celibate in its new misogynist permutation is that it is an injustice that these men have not received sexual access on demand to women's bodies. And that belief forms the basis of attacks like the one in Santa Barbara in 2014, where the perpetrators left behind a very long manifesto, indicating his belief that this was retribution for being wronged. You see something similar with the men's rights ideology in this case, that he had a, a very extensive belief that he was being wronged, that these things like ladies' nights were unjust, were significant discrimination against men, There's a very long passage in his uh, memoir, which he published online, where he talks about problems with a, I think it's a a Russian bride that he had taken and saying that he was being conned and other kinds of things. And so the entitlement that is a part of male supremacism manifests in different ways, and it manifests in ways that can be difficult to get people to take seriously. They wanna just dismiss them as, you know, people who are irrelevant or losers or mock them rather than taking into consideration whatever you think about the validity of their ideology. It's one that does actually motivate acts of violence and we need to approach it the same way That we would approach a white supremacist ideology that we might also think is completely baseless, but it's less likely to be perceived in that way of, oh, this is ludicrous and so it can't possibly be something that I need to be concerned about. Which we get more in terms of trying to talk about misogynist ideologies.
2: Just returning to the father's rights issue in Australia within the family court system, despite still, you know, presenting themselves very much as victims of a gynocentric judicial system, the father's rights movements has had incredible success in the way that the judicial system responds to things like allegations of abuse by fathers often Women are not believed. That's sort of written into policy within the family court system. Essentially, uh, how much success have they had in America in sort of shaping the way that those uh, discussions are had?
0: Yeah. So there is a pseudo scientific concept called parental alienation system, which fathers' rights advocates are very supportive of. The concept, which is not at all recognized as a valid psychological state. The idea of it is that a parent, the woman in a heterosexual relationship is what they're mostly talking about, who alleges abuse by her husband. And if the children also attest to there having been abuse, that what is going on there is not actually that the children are speaking to abuse that occurred, but that the mother manipulated them into claiming or believing that there had been abuse by the by the husband the father when there had not been and so in the family court system this completely unfounded concept is used to discredit women and you know discrediting women's claims of violence it occurs in Discussions of domestic abuse. It occurs in discussions of sexual violence. There's actually a very strong Indian men's rights or fathers rights movement in India and they have had success there. It's about claims regarding dowry abuse and they have had success in rolling back legislation to protect women against dowry abuse. So this is something that actually manifests across a lot of different countries and with some slight deviations, but with this basis of coming up with frameworks to not believe women when they talk about abuse or violence, and to thereby enable perpetrators to reassert control over their victims.
2: Uh, we are talking to Alex Dobrenko, the Executive Director at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism talking about cells and MRAs. Alex, you've argued that misogyny is or should be recognised as being part of far-right ideology. Can you explain the relationship between misogyny and the far-right?
0: So I think that... If we go into the academic sphere of scholarship on radicalization and right-wing extremism, which I think is particularly dominated by European scholars as well, have done most of that work, there is an issue in which right-wing extremism has been conflated with primarily racist or xenophobic extremism and leaving out other Motivating forces. And so, having come from, as I mentioned before, beginning my work looking at the anti abortion movement, including the violence and terrorism that has come from that movement, that is how I would conceptualize an element of right wing violence or right wing extremist violence early on. And the present day acts of violence that have been perpetrated by men connected to a misogynist incel ideology are also coming from that kind of male supremacist perspective. And so when we are looking at overarching concepts like understanding right-wing extremism broadly we need to be including male supremacism and misogyny within that. And once we have included this focus on gender-based violence and misogyny, because of the kind of gender essentialism that occurs in most male supremacist groups, they tend to be anti-trans as well. And so trans misogyny is an element of the male supremacist ideologies that we see. And so I think that we are seeing a little bit because of particularly two attacks in the United States and Canada in 2018 that were connected to incel ideology, a little bit of a shift in starting to try to understand what is going on with those groups and a little bit more of an opening. And I think that we need to continue to move in that direction where we're talking about in particular frameworks in which we look at supremacist movements and movements that are white supremacists, that are male supremacists, that are white male supremacists, which a lot of them are, and other forms of supremacism, as the framework in which we are approaching these ideologies.
2: There have been a number of recent documentaries that are, I guess, sort of tend to whitewash the MRAs and the incel movements. I'm thinking of films like The Red Pill and. TFW, No GF. What did you make of those films? And also, what did the people in those communities make of them?
0: Well, the people in those communities, TFW, No GF, I don't think has had as much reach as of yet. And I think part of that is because it was only aired for a short period of time. I'm not sure it's been more widely disseminated yet. But the Red Pill documentary was very much something that was really applauded within the movement the men's rights movement and a colleague of mine went actually to a screening of the red pill in which Cassie J who is the the documentary filmmaker was there and speaking and the applause from the room which was mostly apparently men's rights activists was really significant. And so that documentary film in particular, I know has been credited in at least a couple of cases as being the impetus for starting local men's rights groups. And it definitely takes a deeply sympathetic perspective of the individual's That are being studied. I think that one of the difficulties that appears to happen in some of the interactions when we're looking at documentaries and journalism where they're spending a lot of time with their subject and have that desire to present them in a positive light that they often aren't spending as much time looking at the broader sort of sphere in which these individuals are participating and talking. And so we've seen a little bit of a disconnect between work that is looking at the kind of rhetoric that exists in A lot of these misogynist forums and some of the interviews and reports that have been done on actors within those forums. And I would say that what it looks to me like in some cases is that the misogynist subjects of these interviews are essentially gaslighting their interviewers, that they are manipulating and creating a different sense of reality than is really reflected in the movements that they're a part of. There was a misogynist incel moderator who was featured in some news stories a couple years ago who claimed that he just hadn't realized how misogynist the forums got and was portrayed very sympathetically, was in an, a, This American Life episode. And earlier this year, he released a video talking about how he made all that up for the attention. He hates women. There were a number of other slurs in the video. And this was not surprising to me and my colleagues who have talked about him in the past and said, well, There's just no possible way that he was participating actively in this forum, that he was a moderator in this forum and that he just didn't notice that it got misogynist. That is just not what could have happened. But there's this instinct, which I think probably goes back to the broader male supremacism of society and the sense that you should believe men and what men say rather than what women say and what women say who might be their victims in some cases. And so what these men are saying to reporters is being taken at face value, even though the evidence demonstrates that what they're saying really can't possibly be true and it doesn't really make sense. Well, we'll have
2: to leave it there, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us. If people want to read more of the research of or support the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism, how can they do so?
0: People can visit our website, theIRMS.org. We're at theIRMS on Twitter as well. We have, mm, I think, around 20 fellows at the moment, uh, affiliated experts, who are part of the Institute, whose research and expertise that we feature, who currently are from the United States, Canada, Europe, and Australia. And we have links to media coverage and research and information about the work that we do in various aspects of looking at male supremacist ideology and misogynist violence.
2: Well, that's all we've got time for. Global Indifada is up next. We'll catch you next week. See you later.
1: child man on the mic Saying peace to my wife And every woman living hell in life But as a male, I can't speak for them so my messages from boys to men, but it ain't coolie and it ain't harmony. When you talk about male supremacy, it makes me sick to think that most men's lives revolve around their dicks. And where do these ideas come from? It's not like innocent children choose them. They're taught how to behave by others. In our society, it's not the mothers, fathers govern and educate, and show young boys how to dominate. And you don't have to be like them growing up in a clan. Refuse to be a man. Now you feel like you have to play Waiting anxiously for the next day The whole class goes out to a movie There's this girl sitting right next to you Friends are begging you on, saying get to work So you stick your hand on the girl's shirt It didn't hurt, but you find out later From a friend she feels like dirt And you don't apologize for fear Your friends will call you queer She's been humiliated and everyone knew this So how could you do this? Every stage, the locks tightened down on the cage Walking home from a high school dance You see two athletes ripping off a girl's pants With no intention to quit You knew it was wrong and you still didn't do shit So the following day at school, when you were questioned, you act a fool but they were stars of the varsity squad You looked up to them like God And even if you tried to stop them The coach would make sure that nothing would happen now you learn to look the other way If you blew the whistle, what would your friends say? These are just your rights of passage But does anybody consider the damage? Physical and emotional pain But does this ever enter our brain? And what are all women's defenses When for men there are no consequences Women getting justice is like any other myth Look at William Kennedy Smith It's a man's world and we knew this And yet we continue to do this
0: Victoria Women's Centre is calling all craftivists to join us and make a fuss. Make a fuss is a crowdsourced craftivist project looking for submissions on the theme of women's silence. If you've experienced a time when you didn't want to make a fuss, why not get crafting and make some noise? For more information, go to qvwc.org.au and click on make a fuss. Submissions close August 19th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter.